Quarter break or come apart, but it is good to see you Thanksgiving week. Um, Twain, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to you and your families uh, as we celebrate just all God's blessings in our life and the relationships he's given us. Um, so it's going to be a great, great week. Last week was an amazing week. We had 26 total baptisms last Sunday, so give God a big round of applause. It was awesome. Some of the, the stories and testimonies that came uh, through those bedrooms, which is absolutely amazing what God is doing in people's lives. Uh, and then last Sunday night, we had our Champions Night with about 200 of our volunteers here at chapel that make everything happen. And it was just good to value them and honor them and let them know, hey, we see everything you do to make this place a family for so many people in our community. So just want to say thank you again to all of them. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. Obviously, Thanksgiving is this Thursday. Next week, it's our new series called The Gift Exchange, which is our Christmas series leading up to December 19th, which is our big Christmas kind of celebration. Uh, we have, always have candle uh, candlelight communion, Christmas Eve communion on Christmas Eve as well. So lots of good stuff going on. How many of you, by raise of hands, have ever been tempted with anything in your life? Raise your hand. How many of you have successfully, successfully resisted temptation at least once in your life? Good job. How many of you have failed at resisting temptation at some point in your life? Okay, and all the liars just keep their hands down. Like, temptation is just a, a common part of life, no matter if you're a believer or not a believer. I actually believe that, you know, many people, they'll say, well, before I was saved, I really wasn't tempted that much. No, you were tempted. You just didn't realize you were tempted because you were flowing in the same direction. There was no resistance. Temptation affects, you know, people that play sports, discipline, whether you're trying to go on a diet, whether you're trying to be successful. Temptation always comes to try to draw you away from what you're pursuing. And what, from my experience, Temptation many times never really sets in until you take a step in the right direction, right? So whether it's a mountaintop or a valley, whenever you go to the mountaintop, it seems like you're automatically tempted to come down off the mountaintop. One person, I think Winston Churchill said it this way, mountaintops are a place of inspiration while the valley is a place of maturation. I Meaning you're inspired on the mountaintops, but on the valleys where you're matured and you grow and develop into what that inspiration actually showed you. And so with Jesus, we walk through this temptation with him today. One of the things that is incredible to me is that as soon as you take that step, temptation comes. I remember uh, when people first get baptized, we saw this baptism last Sunday. Many times people get baptized, all of a sudden temptation comes immediately. With me, like we came here in, in 2014, and, and it was like a mountaintop experience becoming the pastor of this incredible church, and it was like immediately temptation came. And so it's amazing to me as believers, like as soon as you take that good step, the enemy's there to try to push you back with temptation. And so the only way to, to overcome that temptation is not to try harder, but to look at Jesus and see how Jesus overcame temptation in his life and then try to use or try to live the way he showed us to live to overcome that temptation. So my goal here today is to give you eight keys to overcome temptation that will help you whether you're trying to avoid the temptation of the ice cream in the freezer or the temptation for another plate, <coughs> excuse me, Another plate, that communion cracker sticks in your mouth for a good two, three days. The, the temptation to avoid the sexual temptation that comes your way, the temptation to avoid bitterness, the temptation to avoid unforgiveness in your heart, the temptation to avoid greed, the temptation to avoid pride, the temptation that the enemy brings to you to attack you. And so Matthew chapter 4, it says this. Now, to give you kind of the, the context, this is immediately after Jesus got baptized. Literally, he was baptized, highlight, spiritual inspiration, spiritual moment, and then immediately he's being tempted by the enemy. And it says this, 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, no duh. And the tempter came and said to him, if, everybody say if. Temptation always begins with if. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus said to him again, everybody say, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil. So again, it's, it's amazing how consistent the enemy is. That when you overcome once, he just brings something else. And again, and again, and again, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone. Everybody say, be gone. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So it's, it's amazing, like Jesus, before he ever has a ministry, he has to go through the temptation. He goes from mountaintop of baptism into the valley of temptation. And while he's in the valley of temptation, it has his weakest moment in life. 40 days, 40 nights, no food, nothing to drink, but water. He's hungry, he's alone, he's by himself, and he just came off the mountaintop. The enemy doesn't come to you when you're strong. He comes to you when you're weak. And when you're weak, he'll find the area. It's amazing. He starts with food because he knows Jesus hadn't eaten in 40 days. So he, he doesn't start with sexual temptation. He doesn't start with bitterness. He starts with the weakest part of his life, which at the time was being hungry. And he starts and he begins to tempt him by saying, if you are the son of God. And what's incredible is Jesus just heard, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next 40 days later, the enemy's saying, well, if you're the son of God. If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God. It's amazing how one minute you can hear God's word and the next minute the enemy's preaching the exact opposite message. Now, and I, I, I love preaching. I love preaching. Toil will joke, I'll stay up late at night watching Benny Hinn sermons on my iPad in my bed. I'll watch, I love Benny Hinn preaching. I love Oral Roberts preaching his dramatic healing ministry. I love Adrian Rogers for, for the Baptist folk. I love Bishop T.D. Jakes. I love Stephen Furtick's preaching sometimes. I love preaching. I, I love preaching. And I've heard some amazing preachers. Ron Carpenter Jr., Sammy Rodriguez, I've been around some incredible preachers, but the best preacher I've ever heard was not Bishop Jakes, was not Sammy Rodriguez, was not Ryan Carpenter Jr., was not Adrian Rogers, not Charles Stanley. The best preacher I've ever heard is Satan. He's been preaching since the garden. He preached through the Old Testament. He preached to Jesus, and every single temptation he gave Jesus was directly from Scripture. 
When God preaches his word, the enemy preaches another word. And the words you believe will determine the destiny you receive. Jesus gets filled with God's word. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the enemy tries to rip that word out of him, just as Jesus described in the parable of the sower. God sows the word, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The enemy says, whoa, whoa, if. He's trying to get him to let go of that word God gave him. Sometimes the temptation is just to let go of what God already told you. And Jesus is fighting it in wilderness, and he shows us how to overcome it. And one of the main things that you need to get is this. Satan tempts, but God tests. God does not tempt people. God does not tempt you to sin. God does not tempt you to stray away. God does not tempt you to fall away. God will test you, but Satan will tempt you. And the difference is profound. See, God takes, it says he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for a season of testing. And see, the reason testing is important is because God will test us to prepare us to move into his will or into a better place in him. So God was preparing Jesus to begin his ministry. As soon as this temptation is over, he begins his ministry full of power, preaching, teaching, and healing. But before he can get there, God had to test him. God had to test him. So he takes him to the wilderness. And the wilderness in the Bible is always a place of testing. You look at Jesus and Moses. Moses was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. And the wilderness is the place of isolation. It's a place of silence. It's a place of solitude. Many times it's a place where God's voice seems absent. That you're just crying out, this is a difficult season. This is a rough season. It just feels like I'm being tempted. I'm being tested. Like I'm being tried. Like I don't know what's going to happen next in my life. And you cry out, but it seems like God is silent. Jesus here for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the enemy. We don't hear him say, well, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We don't hear him say, this is my boy. This is the Messiah. No, for 40 days and 40 nights, he only hears the voice of Satan. And so what's interesting about that is, in a season of testing, just like at school, the professor, the teacher, always remains quiet and silent while you're going through the test. See, the test for Jesus wasn't just to make it through. The test for Jesus was, was he going to stand on the word and the teaching God the Father told him when he said, this is my son? Was he going to hold on to that during the testing, or was he going to let go of that during the testing? You see, the testing times is when God is trying to get you to a new place, to prosper, to a new place of ministry, to a new place in your marriage, to a new place in your finances. God always tests us before he promotes us. We know that in the, in the secular world. Like before you can go to the eighth grade, you get tested to see if you can pass the seventh grade. Before you can go to college, you have to be tested in high school to make sure you can be promoted from that grade. And then many times, spiritually, before God can take you into a new season, he tests you during the current season. See, so God will test you, but he tests you as a way to move you deeper into his will. But the enemy tempts us not to move us into God's will, but to get us out of God's will. See, the, it may seem the same in the middle of it, but the outcomes are totally different. When Satan tempts you, it's always because you're walking in God's will. And his desire is to get you to step out of God's will and step into his will, which is always sin. 
God will allow you to be tested to remove some things from you to get you more prepared for the next season in his will. And so when Satan comes up, anytime you make a new step of obedience— for Jesus' baptism, for maybe you it's baptism, for you maybe it's I'm going to start reading my Bible, maybe for you it's going to, I'm going to start praying, maybe for you it's I'm going to get involved in church, maybe for you it's going to be a deeper commitment to your wife, maybe for you it's a greater, whatever your next step of obedience is, whenever you take a new step of obedience, there's always a new season of temptation. Always. That's one of the difficult things when people get baptized. You tell them, hey, that's great, but guess what? Now the temptation begins. You know why? Because when you, when you say yes to Jesus, you're not just saying yes to forgiveness. You're saying yes to the army of the Lord. And you're saying yes to the mission of God. You're saying yes to the kingdom of God. Now you're in a conflicting enemy kingdom to Satan. So now his goal is to get you to quit God and join back in the army of evil and darkness and sin and shame and guilt and fear. And so whenever you take that new step of obedience, there's always a new season of temptation that comes with that. Because I've heard them say, the old preachers say, new levels, new devils. New levels, new devils. We have no record of Jesus ever encountering Satan in his entire life. Not from birth, not through the early years, not through his teenage years, not through his young adult years. Not until he gets baptized do we see Satan show up on the scene. Why? New levels, new devils. Whenever you start making a path, whenever you start saying yes to Jesus, that's when the enemy starts saying yes to you. And you got to know that his whole purpose is to tempt you to quit. And when he says, if you are a son of God, you say, well, I, I, I don't know if I am anymore. Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Hey, but you're going to deny me three times. Hey, aren't you one of those guys that were with Jesus? I don't even know the man. I, I don't even know him. I'm not in relationship with him anymore. I don't know who I See, whenever there's a new assignment on your life, there's also an assignment on your life. When God sets an assignment for you, then he sets his targets on you. You have to know that when he's tempting you, it's because there's a purpose that he's ready to get you out of. One of the, the sayings in our family is, so I don't know about you, but with four kids, our kids, it's always, you know, they made me angry. They made me do this. Well, they made you punch them in the throat? Like, no, like, well, no, they, they, they're making me. They're, no, no, I said, whoa, whoa, no one can make you do anything. You choose to respond to the temptation they gave you. See, way back then it was, well, the devil made me do it. No, no, the devil doesn't make you do it. He just tempts you into choosing to do what he would do instead of choosing what God would do. And so you have to realize when he tempts you, he's trying to get you out of God's will. It's a good, when you're under temptation, you should thank God. Because it means I'm right where God wants me to be. And the enemy knows that, and he's trying to get me out of it because he knows if I stay on this trajectory, I'm going to wreck hell, and I'm going to occupy the kingdom for God. Keeps going. So what's interesting with temptation is, and I was reading through the book that I wrote a couple years ago called Tactics, which is all about the plans of the enemy, that if God has a plan for your life, so does the enemy. 
And the, his plan is to tempt you out of God's plan or to move you out of God's will. And what's interesting is no matter how common temptation is, which temptation is common to everybody, no matter how common it is, it is uniquely designed by Satan to suit you just where he wants you. So even though temptation is broad, he custom designs temptation just for you so that you'll take the bait and you'll run with it so he can rope you right back in. But the Bible is very clear that even though temptation is uniquely designed, 1 John 2.16 says this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. All temptation is going to fit in those three categories. But the way the enemy presents it to you and packages it is going to be uniquely custom designed to get you to take the bait. So no matter how generalized it is, it's custom designed to attack you and where you're at. So temptation common to all believers, lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh is because your flesh has an appetite. Your flesh, whether you realize it or not, it wants some things. If you don't know that, drive past bunions, and I promise you, your flesh will start wanting some things. Like your, your flesh needs to be fed. Like your flesh has desires. So this temptation of the lust of the flesh is all the sins that have to do with your body wanting something. Whether that's, that's food and gluttony. Whether that's sexual desires. Whether that's, that's anger. Whether, whatever it may be. It's all the sins of your body. Alcoholism, drug addiction. All these things. Is your flesh saying, I need something, give it to me. I need it, I want it. And Jesus being tempted but by food, the first temptation for him was food. After he was hungry because he fasted for 40 days, it was saying, I know your flesh is hungry. Let me give you something. See, the lust of the flesh is so detrimental because it's so natural. I've heard people say, well, you know, you know sin, sexual desires are natural. This is natural. All sin is natural. All sin is natural, and all sin is is when you take a natural desire and let the enemy fulfill it rather than God fulfill it. When you let the world fulfill your sexual desire instead of letting God fulfill your sexual desire through holy covenant, then it becomes sin. Food is a natural desire, and it, but when you let the world fill you up with gluttony over and over and over again instead of letting God be your sustainer and your provider, it becomes sin. And see, so your flesh has this appetite that is constantly wanting more, 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 more. It's never satisfied. It's never satisfied with food. It's never satisfied with sex. It's never satisfied with alcohol. It's always more, more. It's always pushing them to feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. And the problem with that is your flesh and your spirit can't be fed at the same time. And so there will be a choice of which one am I going to feed? Am I going to feed my flesh? Am I going to feed my spirit? But one of them is going to go hungry while one is going to be filled. And while Jesus says, whoa, I'm not going to turn these stones to bread because I'm going to live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What he was saying is, I'm not going to feed my flesh. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit feed me through God's word. Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit, it is literally this battle between feeding your flesh and feeding your spirit. Only one can rule you and be Lord at one time. And Jesus is choosing in this scripture to allow it to be his spirit. But the second one, the lust of the eyes, 
Just like your flesh has an appetite, your eyes have an appetite as well. Look at your neighbor's eyes. They, it's like Pac-Man. It is chomping on things just like your mouth is chomping on things. It's chomping on Netflix. It's chomping on images. It's chomping on YouTube. It's chomping on TV. It's chomping on books. It's chomping on visual images of other people. Your eyes have an appetite. They want to see certain things. And what happens is when your eyes start wanting to be fed, your temptation is usually what consumes your attention the most in life. So if you want to know what your temptation is, what consumes the attention of your eyes? Is it the TV? Is it social media? Is it football? Is it sports? Is it sexual images? Is it the images of other people? Whatever consumes your attention is what the enemy is using to tempt you to fulfill the lust of your eyes. What's even crazier about this scripture, this scripture is directly quoted from Exodus 17. So the enemy comes and and, and tries to tempt Jesus with the same temptation that he tempted the Israelites with in Exodus 17 when they were complaining about the water. And that scripture says, you shall not put the Lord God to test. And what is crazy about it is this, that it wasn't a test of God, do a miracle for us, or or God, do this for us. The test was this. The Israelites had seen God do amazing things in the past. They'd seen God deliver them from Egypt. They'd seen him part the, the, the Red Sea. They'd seen him do all these amazing things, bring quail that stacked up waist high to feed them, manna from heaven, all these amazing miracles. But now they're out of water. And they're out of water. And all of a sudden, they make a comment that says, is the Lord even amongst us anymore? See, testing God, the lust of the eyes, is not about testing God to do something for you. The test is, are you going to believe what you see more than what you've seen God do in your life? And you start manipulating the promises of God and questioning the presence of God. That is the test, that if you've seen God be faithful, why would you begin to test him now to make him prove that he's trustworthy when he's already proven he's trustworthy? So Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, that I'm not going to test God because he's proven himself in the past. Thanksgiving's coming up. You know what Thanksgiving is? It's celebrating the faithfulness of God in the past then taking time to thank him for the blessings and his faithfulness in the present, but then look forward that he's going to be faithful in the future. See, testing God is about worshiping what you see more than what you don't see. And your eyes are always wanting to be filled with something to worship with their eyes. Even Moses dealt with this. And he goes to the mountaintop, worshiping the God they cannot see on top of the mountaintop, getting the Ten Commandments, comes down. Aaron has done what? Built a golden calf. What is that? A God they can see with their eyes. I'd rather worship a God I can see than a God that I can't see, even though the God I can't see has done these amazing things for me. And we still go through the same thing. I can tell you, it's amazing to me, and we deal with this with people, that we can spend so much time with our eyes fixed upon a screen and never have our eyes fixed upon Jesus. And that was the temptation that Jesus had. But the third one is the pride of life, which is our egos have an appetite. If your flesh has an appetite and your eyes have an appetite, you best believe your ego has an appetite. Touch your neighbor and say, you have an ego. And then touch yourself and say, I do too. Like our egos have an appetite. They want to be fed. That's why serving is so important. Our egos don't want to serve. Our egos want to be served. 
That's why unforgiveness is such a big deal and bitterness is such a big deal because our egos don't want to forgive. Our egos want to be right. Our egos don't want to be forgiving people. They want to hold on to bitterness because we want to elevate ourselves above those who have offended us. See, your ego has an appetite and is continually looking to be fed over and over and over again. And the way that the enemy tempts Jesus with his ego is this. He takes him up to the temple mount and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says this, if you just bow down and worship me, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You know what's crazy about that? Jesus was already crowned king in heaven. He's already king of all the kingdoms of the world. And he was going to come, walk through Jerusalem, ride on a colt, go to the cross, go to the grave, resurrect, ascend into heaven, and be king over all the universe. And so the temptation was not to give Jesus something he wasn't going to have. The temptation was him taking something before it was time. And so the temptation for the last one, for the pride of life, is when you think that you deserve something now that God has prepared for you later. And so you expedite something, you expedite it, because the enemy is trying to tempt Jesus to bow down and worship Satan now so he can have the exaltation of a snake instead of waiting for the exaltation of a father. See, the temptation is we want to be magnified now instead of crucified. But the kingdom of heaven is you're crucified now and you're magnified later. The world says, no, we'll magnify you now and then we'll crucify you a little bit later. See, the kingdom of heaven is this. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of heaven. Never. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Every single path that anyone will ever take, no matter if they come from atheism, no matter if they come out of a, a Southern Bible Belt culture, they come from Iran, they come from China, they come from Japan, no matter where they come from, all paths lead to Jesus, and the path of Jesus always leads through the cross. You cannot shortcut it. You cannot expedite it. The only way into the kingdom is self-denial and crucifixion, which leads to exaltation. But the enemy tempts you. And say, no, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to do all that. You can live your best life now. If you're a Joel Osteen fan, I'm sorry. Enemy promises you everything now, so he'll distract you from later. God promises you the best life in the future, but there may be some sacrifice and some persecution and some crucifixion now. And the temptation he gave Jesus was sacrifice the later glory for the now glory. In our current day and age of culture, this is the one that affects the church more than anything else. We think we can have the quickest route to the things of God instead of the route of obedience, sacrifice, perseverance, dedication, discipline. And the enemy will always come and try to shortcut the path God gives us. So temptation is real. No matter what your temptation is, no matter which one you fall in, maybe you're a lust of the eyes person. That's your biggest area of temptation. God uses things that you've seen or draws your attention to things that you can see visually. Maybe for you it's the lust of the flesh, that you have desires, maybe it's alcohol, Maybe it's sexual desires, that, that that's where the enemy tempts you. Maybe for you it's the pride of life. That's the things that, of unforgiveness or bitterness. Maybe you want to shortcut things. Maybe it's power struggles. Maybe it's control. Whatever it may be, the key to overcome 
is this. Matthew 14, Jesus says, then Jesus said to him, everybody say, be gone. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So he uses authority, he uses the word, he talks about worship, he talks about serving, and so if you look at how Jesus overcome, Jesus didn't just, just blow it away. What's amazing is he had authority over Satan. He could have crushed him at any moment in time. But there's a way that he showed us that we can overcome temptation. So real quick, eight keys for you to overcome temptation. Number one is this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first thing that happens when Jesus is baptized is the Holy Spirit descends upon him and rests upon him and stays upon him. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you don't come from a background that's about being spirit-filled, you cannot live the Christian life without being filled and overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit possible. Jesus, who came from heaven to earth, had to be filled and carried by the Holy Spirit before he faced temptation. So if you think you can face temptation without the power of the Holy Spirit, good luck. Because here's my experience. You will be filled with something. You will either be filled with temptation, struggles, emptiness, or the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't go to McDonald's without being filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you, I hate grocery shopping. Well, one for our family, we can spend $300 on groceries, take it home. Before it gets put up in the refrigerator and the cabinets, it's already gone and eaten. But if you go to the grocery store and you're hungry, so maybe you missed lunch, you're trying to go around lunchtime, you haven't eaten yet, and you go to the grocery store, and you're pushing that, you know, in the south, that buggy across those lanes, you'll start putting stuff in that cart that you don't necessarily need. But you put it in there because your eyes are big and your belly's empty, so you start throwing stuff in there. Then you come to check out, and they're like, sir, your cost is $636. That's not my list. It's only six things. So what was different? I had the list. I knew what I needed, what I wanted. But then when I leave, I got more stuff than what I needed, meaning my buggy was empty because my stomach was empty. Now my buggy's full with stuff that I don't need. And when you go into the world with an empty spirit, you'll start picking up stuff that you do not need. You'll start picking up things that you don't need in your life, you don't need in your mind, you don't need in your heart, you don't need in your spirit. Because when your spirit is empty, it's looking for something to be fed. And when you walk into the world, the enemy is trying to feed you with whatever he can feed you. Teenagers, listen to me. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, your friends, the enemy, your teachers, your coaches will fill you with another spirit. Like, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' stomach was empty, but his spirit was full. Now, I'd rather my stomach be empty and my spirit be full, because then I can overcome anything. That's why fasting is so important. Fasting is about you telling your stomach no, so you can tell Jesus yes, and empowers you. Number two is know who you are and whose you are. Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, the rest on him, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's walking in the power of the Spirit, but then God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, before you can face temptation, you have to know who you are. Because you start reading all three temptations were not necessarily about lust, not about the flesh, 
not about the eyes, not about pride. It was all about the identity of Jesus. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off this mountain and watch the angels come pick you up. If you are, see, the battle of Christianity is not a battle of rules and regulations. The battle of Christianity is whether you truly believe you are a son of God or not. Everything, all behavior flows out of identity. The lower you see yourself, the lower your morals and behavior will go. But the higher you see yourself, the higher your behavior and morals will go. It's not about rules. It's about how do you see yourself. Do you believe when you're baptized, when God says, this is my boy, this is my girl, do you believe it? Or do you live below the standard? See, because if you see yourself as a prince of the king, there's some things you won't do. When you see yourself as a princess of the king, there's some places you may not go. As a matter of fact, do you realize way back, do y'all remember, some of y'all are too young, y'all remember when New York City was like the roughest city in the world? Like it was rough. Do you know how they turned around the crime for the most part in New York City? Neighborhoods that were crime infested had broken out windows and graffiti and all this other stuff. They tried adding more cops, more militarized police forces. None of it worked. So they decided to go in and replace the broken windows, start cleaning up the graffiti, start doing some landscaping in these crime infested neighborhoods. And what they watched is as the image of the neighborhood went higher, the crime rate went lower. It's proven that when you dress to a higher level, you actually carry yourself to a higher standard. See, when you see yourself at a higher standard, just like the neighborhood, it changes the behavior of the neighborhood because the temptation is not about what you do. It's about how you see yourself. If, 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 if you are truly a believer, if you're truly a son of God, if you really love Jesus, those are all words. God would never question your love for him. He may ask you to stretch your love for him. He'll never say, well, if you're my son, if you're my daughter. Those are all echoes of hell. To put an obstacle between you and your father to question your relationship with him. Because when you question your relationship with your father, you'll go live outside of the father's love and standard for your life. If, 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 if. The battle is not about stopping the sin. The battle is about looking at your father and seeing a reflected image of yourself in him and him in you. It says this. Chris Hodges said this. I love this quote. It says, temptation is a test of your relationship, not your self-control. Temptation is not a test of your self-control. It's a test of your relationship. And so if you want to stop sinning, the goal is not to just try harder. The goal is to elevate your view of yourself and to see yourself the way God sees you. He says, you're a holy priesthood. You're righteous. You've been imputed the righteousness of Christ in you. You're set apart. You're holy. You're majestic. You're beautiful. You're pure. You're innocent. He calls you his own. When you see yourself the way God does, it changes everything else. But number three. Jesus didn't just sit around the whole time. You have to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the problem with us 
is we don't want to resist the devil. We want to be close enough to enjoy the temptation while not quite stepping over the line in sin. Well, I'm going to watch these movies, even though they tempt me, but I'm not actually going to do the stuff they do. I just want to be entertained by the temptation. And so we live in a day and age where we don't resist the devil. We stay as close as we possibly can without grabbing his hand. Nowhere in the Bible do you see any believer say, I'm just going to be in environments of temptation and hope that God saves me from my temptation. No, they resist him and flee. Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lust, to flee from them. Joseph, he's in Potiphar's home. Potiphar's wife is trying to tempt him into having an affair with her. He didn't sit around and say, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty strong. We'll just see how this goes. No, no, no. That dude ran out of the house. When was the last time you ran away from sin, ran away from temptation? Because if we could do a chart, most of us stay around temptation way too long. We tell ourselves, I'm not going to do it. But then we play with fire, and when you play with fire, at some point you smell like smoke. And when you smell like smoke, you start changing your perspective of yourself, and you'll begin playing with the fire. I'll tell you, run as fast as you can. Number four, ask for help. You know, we don't see this in this scripture, but all throughout scripture for us, we see God telling accountability is key. If you're dealing with temptation... Do not be too proud to ask somebody for help. Accountability, extra set of eyes, extra set of prayer, somebody who can help you navigate your temptation and overcome. Because the goal is not to deal with temptation. The goal is to overcome temptation. But number five, know God's word. Every single time. It's amazing to me in some of the new age Christianity out there. Well, well, I don't really read God's word. I don't really need the church. I don't really need this. When you realize the majority of what Jesus said was quoted scriptures from Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the Psalms. Jesus didn't come from heaven saying, God said. He says, it is written. Like he was storing up the word of God in his heart. David says, I store up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. That means there's a connection between how much word you have stored up in your heart and how much you sin. If you have little word, a lot of sin. A lot of word, little sin. The temptation is this, that when he tempts you, if you're empty of God's word, you have no arsenal to defeat him with. And you don't wait till you're in battle to load your gun. You load your gun before you go to battle. That's what this is about, to encourage you and inspire you to get the word of God in your heart Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Because why? Friday is when the temptation comes. And if you don't know God's word, you'll believe every single lie the enemy tells you. If you don't know what God said, you'll believe what he says. You have to store it up in your heart. Number six, establish holy boundaries. Notice I didn't say healthy boundaries. Holy boundaries. If you go to your home, I promise you there's boundaries between your house and your neighbor's house. Maybe it's a fence. Maybe it's a tree line. But there's boundaries. And what those boundaries do is they define what is yours and what is not yours. That's what boundaries do. 
In the same way, holy boundaries define who you are and who you are not. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. Until you have holy boundaries, you don't really know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. Therefore, he didn't step over his boundaries of the property lines of God into the property of the enemy. There's some things you should just say ahead of time, I'm not going. There's some things you say ahead of time, I'm not doing that. Boundaries are nothing more than predetermined dimensions of your life. And for me, there's things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to hang out in bars. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke weed. I'm not going to watch rated R movies except for Tombstone. I'm not going to, there's things I'm not going to do. Maybe for you, they're not a big deal. But for me, that defines who I am and who I am not. What I've learned is those that don't have holy boundaries deal with temptation a lot more than those who do. And all they're really doing is they're stretching their boundaries to include the enemy in the world. I'm not trying to include the enemy in the world. I'm trying to find ways to get him out of my world. I want him out of my house. I want him out of my mind. I want him out of my heart. I want him out of my spirit. I want him out of my church. I want him out of, our, out of the shoals. I'm trying to find ways to create holy boundaries to keep him out, not ways to let him in. Seven, change your perspective through worship. In verse 10, he says this. He says, but you shall worship the God. Worship your God. Worship your God. It's amazing. He's dealing with temptations. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus fights temptation by referencing worship, which is amazing because many of us come from churches that don't actually worship. When I worship, what I'm doing is letting the enemy know ahead of time where my allegiances are and who I'm going to serve. See, worship changes my perspective from my temptation to my deliverer. It gets my eyes off the temptation, gets my eyes off the struggle, gets my eyes off the battle, gets my eyes off the fight, and lifts my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. See, when you're in the middle of temptation, you can worship your way through. Because the one thing the enemy doesn't want, we realize, the enemy will stick around to hear the word. It is written, it is written, it is written. But as soon as Jesus starts talking about worship and serving God, he goes. See, sometimes, it's not about how hard you try. Sometimes it's just getting your focus off of the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of your life, and changing it to what God wants, and that's worship. But then he finally says, to serve God. Many times, because all temptation is self-inflicted temptation. It's all about what you want, what you need, what you want God to do for you, how to fulfill your desires, how to satisfy your flesh, how to satisfy your lust, how to satisfy your attention, how to satisfy your ego. One of the cures is to just serve God instead of yourself. Martin Luther says no man is neutral. He's either doing good works or bad works. We do good works, so we won't do bad works. That God actually redeems you from doing bad things to serving good things. And if you want to overcome temptation, sometimes you have to replace a bad habit with a good habit. How many people I've seen that have struggled with alcohol or drugs, they come to church, they begin to, to worship God, they get baptized, but they don't start serving, they go through this cycle of doing well, falling off the wagon, doing well, falling off the wagon, doing well, falling off the wagon. But then once they get connected to a ministry as an usher or a greeter or wherever they serve at, it's amazing 
how freedom just begins to rest in their life. And what is happening is their hands and their body are going to do something. They're not neutral. They're going to flow towards doing the wrong, but if you give them something to do that's right, now they occupy their time and their mind or their hands with what is right. See, serving is powerful. But above all, I want you to know this, that just like with Jesus, that temptation may be tough. And I don't know your temptations. I know people have different levels and intensities of temptation. I don't know your temptation. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be lust, it could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness, it could be ego, it could be power, it could be control, it could be gluttony, whatever it is. I don't know your temptation, but I know it's tough. I know it was tough for Jesus. I know it's tough for the disciples. I know it was tough for Paul. I know it's been tough for every single believer that's ever walked the face of the earth. I know it's tough, but I also know this. It's temporary. It's temporary. God would never allow you to be tempted forever. That's what hell is. And he doesn't want you to be tempted forever. It says this. No temptation is overtaking you. Everybody say no. No temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. Meaning we've all gone through it. But God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What he's saying is we're all going to be tempted. But be, be full of hope. That God, even though you're tempted, God is still faithful. And it may feel like you're going through hell in a handbasket, but he's still faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Let me, let me encourage you this. If you're going through temptation, it's one of the only times in Scripture God is placing his faith back in you. What that means is, if you're going through temptation, God already believes you have the ability to overcome it. He's saying he can handle it. Job, the enemy tempts Job. Job. He says, no, no, Job, he serves me. Job, he loves me. Job worships me. No, no, Satan told God, no, 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 he'll curse you and die. God says, no, no, I know his ability. I, I know what he can handle. Watch this. So when you're being tempted, it's because God knows you can overcome it. But he also knows that once it gets too tough, he'll provide a way of, of escape so that you can endure it. Every temptation has an exit route. Every temptation has a way of escape. If you look across this room, there's like 4,000 red exit signs everywhere. Every one of those, if there was to be a fire and the lights went out, the room was full of smoke, every one of these signs would still be lit up showing you a way of escape. And in your temptation, there's always a way of escape. I joke, but... If you've ever been to church after hours, at nighttime when it's dark, a church is like a haunted house. It's scary. Like when I walk from there through here out to the parking lot late at night when no one's here, I am shouting in tongues because I'm scared of all the demons y'all leave behind when y'all leave. <laughs> Sam Schaefer years ago was our media director at early morning prayer. He said, Pastor, you mind if I just if I, I sleep here? I was like, Sam, you can sleep here, man, but it's, it's scary, bro. He said, well, I don't want to get up at like 4.30. I was like, you can sleep here, but I'm telling you, it's scary. Oh, you know, he's a college. I've got it. I get here like 5 a.m. I go upstairs. There's a pillow and a blanket on the pew, but no Sam. So I'm looking around. I was like, he must have there. I find him right before prayer meeting starts. I said, did you sleep here? He said, no. Pastor, it was scary. 
I said, I told you. He said, no. He said, I'm trying to go to sleep. And this building moves. It sounds like people are walking across the balcony. That's why those red lights are there. So you can run as fast as you can through the dark. Like, I, I don't know what your temptation is, but I promise you there's a way of escape. For some of you, maybe if it's lust, there's enough accountability software out there and enough good men in this church to be a way of escape for you. For some of you, maybe it's alcoholism, there's enough prayer in this church, there's enough resources in this area to help you find a way. There's always a way of escape, and here's the benefit. Every single season of temptation, if you go from a step of obedience into a season of temptation, it always comes with a reward. As soon as Jesus overcame the temptation, it says angels came and ministered to him. And then immediately after that, he's then put into his public ministry for the first time. Jesus' ministry didn't start when he was baptized. It started when he overcame temptation. And so I want to tell you that when you're going through temptation, people will say, well, you know, if I just fall, then God will forgive me. No, no, there's a reward for overcoming. The first reward is spiritual refreshing. The angels came and ministered to Jesus and fed him. See, when you overcome temptation, it may wear you down, but God will refresh you with his Holy Spirit. And you'll be more refreshed after temptation than you were before. Also, you're rewarded with spiritual power. Jesus left that temptation. He left the wilderness and walked and started preaching and healing in the power of the Holy Spirit. So some of you, the power is waiting on you to overcome the temptation that God is th- the enemy is throwing at you. And last is spiritual destiny. That as soon as Jesus left the season of temptation, he began walking in his public ministry. God cannot trust you with a new assignment and new destiny until you've proven yourself faithful through a season of temptation. God will always test a man before he uses a man. And so my prayer for you is that you'll learn to overcome temptation because the rewards for your life are more than worthy of this season you have to endure. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. I, I know temptation is tough. I know for every person it's different. I know for some of you, maybe you just give in to temptation. Every time it comes, you just give in to temptation. For some of you, maybe you fight it to try to endure it. But this isn't about trying harder. This is about overcoming. This is a master class. Jesus literally invites us in to a season of temptation and shows us how to overcome. And my prayer is this church is full of overcomers. No matter what the temptation is the enemy's using against you, that you'll learn to use these keys and overcome because there's a season of spiritual refreshing. There's a season of spiritual power. There's a season of spiritual purpose and destiny awaiting for you on the other side. Father, we pray right now that you help us to apply your word. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Help us to hold on to that promise that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Help us to hold tightly to them, not releasing them every time the enemy tempts us to lay down our identity and lay down our spiritual heritage. Father, give us the the courage and the perseverance and the hope to hold on and to push through and to overcome all for your glory. 
until we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.